0: Hello and welcome to Carnivorous Chats. My name is James, your host. I started this podcast to help other folks share their own healing stories and to interview thought leaders and experts in the carnivore, keto, and low-oxalate space. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout-out to Equip Foods and the Carnivore Bar. As an affiliate, you can use the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products when you check out using the code Carnivorous. Thanks in advance for listening, subscribing, and any likes or shares. And now, on with the podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Carnivorous Chats. This is James, your host. I know, I know, I know I say this all the time, but I'm so excited for my guest today. Valerie has an amazing healing story to tell you all. And let me just, let me just tell you about a few of the things that Valerie has healed with a carnivore diet. It's absolutely incredible. I'm just going to go down the list before I allow her to speak. And trust me, you're going to want to hear what she has to say. She has healed severe mental illness, anorexia, audible hallucinations, anxiety, depression, OCD, cutting, dermatitis, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, hypothyroid, IBS, GERD, constipation, stomach pain, gas, bloating, estrogen deficiency, testosterone deficiency, progesterone deficiency, DHEA deficiency, vaginal atrophy, vulvodynia, interstitial cystitis, bladder pain, bladder spasm, oxalate toxicity, and more. Folks, Valerie is a walking, talking miracle. Valerie Smith, welcome to Carnivorous Chats.
1: Thank you so much, James. I'm so honored to to be welcomed onto your show and to be able to share
0: my story. The honor is all mine, Valerie. It is just amazing to me looking at that list that you had sent me prior to our discussion. And, you know, I I, folks should know that I I first came across you on Twitter um, and what you were sharing the before and after pictures of yourself and, you know, you and your husband and your testimony was so powerful. I was drawn to it and I knew that I wanted to get you here on the show And as luck would have it, a mutual person who followed me that also is friends with you recommended to me, even though I was already planning to have you on to listen to another podcast that you had done, which really geared me into your story. And I was like, this is unbelievable. I'm so excited to talk to you. So Valerie, please tell us how this all began for you. What age, what transpired and what happened? Please let the listeners know. I was
1: very anxious child, even before I was officially diagnosed with an eating disorder at 14. Um, I was very anxious, um, a people pleaser, very worried about being perfect. Um, I would sit at home at night and cry as to whether my homework was perfect enough, whether the teacher was going to be upset with me. I'm diagnosed with an ulcer at 12 years old, that's that's how bad my nerves were, <laughs> um, Things felt out of control in my life, um, and it came down to the point where when the eating disorder took hold, I couldn't control everything that was going on around me in my life, and but what I could control was what went in my mouth, and what I thought was started as lose a little bit of weight, and maybe I'll get my dad's attention, who... I would not had his attention for a while. We had a strained relationship my whole childhood. Um, And combine that with being 14, the start of high school, all the nerves that go with that, the body image issues, all of that combined. And the stress of feeling unworthy of love, feeling that I wasn't worth the time to spend with. I ended up down this self-destructive path that started as a diet, but the thoughts of self-harm, the thoughts of self-degradation were already so deeply implanted that it really wasn't a diet. It was already set up to be self-harm, and that's where it started in 1984 when I was 14. I had lost some weight and my mom was getting concerned and uh, I was showing more and more signs of anxiety and depression and she says it's 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 time to go get this checked out you, you you have to start eating you have to you know start putting some weight back on and up until that point I had hid it very well you know you run out of the house in the morning I'm late for school I don't have time for breakfast so there's a meal skipped you either don't participate in the cafeteria at high school or you say that you brought your lunch or you go outside or you go to the bathroom and hide. There was lunch that I could skip and no one really noticed anything. And then I would eat supper with the family um, and they didn't know that I had already skipped two meals. And, you know, it just kind of spiraled from there.
0: I heard you mention that. I think, you know, in terms of our ages were we're quite close and you're you're a child of the 70s right yes and so you I wanted to ask you about what you were eating during those formative years what were your parents giving you typical stuff I know my parents because of the 70s time there was all the low-fat craze that just kicked in you know all the margarine chuck out the butter even though my mother's mother and my father's mother had been raised on Good old-fashioned dairy butter, where in came the margarine and then the fake stuff and all the grains. Was that similar into your diet growing up?
1: Yes. Um, I never paid attention to it then, but I look back on it now and I can see how it could have very well contributed to the anxiety and the the depression that I was encountering as a young child. Um, yeah, everyone bought into the low fat of everything. And and A lot of pasta, uh, a lot of rice, Um, you know, not only did it taste good, but it could stretch farther. My mom was a single mom. Um, My grandparents were very close living right across the street. And my my grandma cooked wonderful meals as from being growing up in New Jersey and being surrounded in the tenement houses with um, Italians and all, you know, all different ethnicities. So there were a lot of very fancy pasta dishes, but still pasta based. And, and you know, the ratio of carbs to, to protein, carbs to meat was always on the, the light side um, with the pasta being the, the pasta being king. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know it then, but I look back on it now and I can see how those sorts of small little tweaks and small little adjustments probably contributed. To um, my mental health possibly not being as good as it could have been going into my
0: teenage years. Yeah. And just so I wanted to clarify for the listeners, in no way, shape or form are Valerie and I blaming our parents for what they did because they were doing the best at the time given the information that they had been given, right? Yeah. And that was pervasive and remained pervasive for many, many years. And in fact, it's as we get along in our conversation, it's folks like you and I that are challenging the narrative that is out there and you've seen my before and after pictures of being vegetarian and vegan and what eating an all-vegetable diet did to me it caused me severe depression and anxiety weight loss and numerous numerous other physical ailments so you're 14 and your mom said we need to go get this stuff checked out i know a big part of your journey includes um, and you've shared this openly before. Is the the voices that you heard? When did that start for you, Valerie? And um, what was next?
1: Between the ages of fourteen and sixteen, as I continued to lose weight, um, continued to be extremely malnutritioned, um, it would have been very very easy for me to identify as being vegetarian and vegan, even though I didn't, you know, call it that or choose it for any sort of animal ideology but that is basically what i was doing that's all i was consuming was vegetables and fruits and there was nothing going in that had any kind of nutrient dense value it all had to do with what i could get away with what was the lowest amount of calories um and i and i would meticulously record everything i memorized calorie counting books um And continually, on a daily or weekly basis, continued to lower them to see how low I could go, and just continue to lose weight and continue to function. Um, Exercise addiction kicked in there also, and when my weight got to probably around between 100 and 110 pounds, the voices started. it's a very dark, incessant screaming. Um, it's very difficult to explain. The only way that I can explain it is if you've watched any kind of action movies, thriller movies, where there's any kind of anti-terrorist trying to coerce information out of someone, and they're they're playing, they're they're shining bright lights and they're playing loud music to try to break the person, to try to torch torture the person. And, you know, the person in the movie is holding their ears. They can't get away from it. And it's just painful. That's what it felt like to be in my head 24 hours a day. There's no escaping it. There's no turning it off. The only time that there is a way to get away from it is when you're sleeping. You go to bed at night, it's screaming at you. You wake up in the morning, it's screaming at you. And it all has to do with self-harm. You're you're not worth it. You're fat. You're ugly. You deserve to die. You don't deserve to eat. Don't look at that. Don't eat that. If you try to eat it, it's screaming at you that you're gaining weight. You're going to get fat. You're worthless. No one's going to love you. And this just goes on 24 hours a day. You cannot stop it.
0: Valerie, I'm so sorry that you had to go through all that, but I, and on the flip side of that, as we get to your wins later on, I'm so happy that for you, because it is such an incredible looking at you today and seeing the photos, you know, of you now getting ready to go out with your husband. Incredible. I understand that at 16, you actually became an inpatient. Can you talk to the listeners about that and what happened? What I thought was very interesting is what they actually gave to you in a feeding tube.
1: That's that's one of the reasons why I decided to start speaking up. Um, you know, I had been quiet for a long time. I had my Twitter account. I had followed some doctors that helped me five years ago heal. And I wanted to see what they had to say. I would read the comments. I would read the posts. But, I, you know, I didn't get involved. But there came a time when um, someone famous on, on Twitter posted the question, hey, has anybody ever been helped? mental health-wise, through the carnivore diet. And I read through the comments, and most of them were supportive, but there were quite a few that said, that is ridiculous. You cannot trade one restrictive diet for another and heal anything. How in the world is this going to help somebody who has anorexia or, or an eating disorder or help anyone with any kind of mental illness which is neurologically based and has nothing to do with what you're eating? And I'm like, okay, I'm in it. I am now <laughs> this is you know I had prayed for for the Lord to tell me when is it time for me to get involved That was it. that was my pivotal point that's when i that's when I got involved so yes, um that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this because nothing has changed. I have now come alongside several families who have family members who um have been inpatient and I visited them in the hospital, helped with the families to try to help them change protocol um and nothing's changed, and that makes me angry. So yes, at sixteen, um, my weight had dipped below hundred pounds at five foot nine. Um, I was eating probably uh, hundred to three hundred calories a day. You know, I'd cook some celery, I'd eat some spinach, w- whatever I could get away with to keep my stomach from growling and still make it through the day and go to school at that point it, it was it was getting severe. And my mom thought the best thing to do, which at the time it was, it saved my life for a while, to put me inpatient and that's, that's what they did. So at the beginning, um, an NG feeding tube was put in, looking back on it now, and knowing that this is the same protocol that they still do today, anything put through that feeding tube is not going to heal the brain and heal the disorder. The top three ingredients in an NG feeding tube are canola oil, soy, and high fructose corn syrup. Those are the high calorie ingredients that the experts and the health nutritionists believe will weight restore you because it's high calorie, and that being weight restored will fix the illness and none of that is true and this ng feeding tube ingredients it isn't really anything special this is the same three ingredients that are in infant formulas that we're feeding bottle-fed infants these are the same three ingredients that are in um, a a nutritional drink for toddlers and adolescents like a, a boost or an ensure drink Um, geared towards children, it's the same three ingredients. Anyone else that's in the hospital that's had surgery or needs nutrition assistance, that's put an NG feeding tube in, not just for eating disorders, but for any reason, that's what's put through the feeding tube. And all of our nursing homes with elderly people that cannot consume regular food, this feeding tube is put in and that's what's put through it. Those three ingredients inflame the brain even farther, Starve the brain of the cholesterol and saturated fat that it needs and will not heal anything. You become more anxious, more depressed, more driven into the darkness of mental illness. It, it does nothing except for harm.
0: That is, it, it's still, it's still leaves me gobsmacked. And I've had uh, another wonderful young lady who is now a a carnivore coach, coach Claire Cecil um, on, and she had anorexia nervosa as as well. And, you know, she had her issue with the feeding tube where it was either grain-based or dairy-based or something like that for her. And she ended up pulling the tube out at one point. Did I also hear correctly, Valerie, that In the hospital, and I've had my fair share of hospital stays. My one stint that I had, the food was awful. Did they bring in a a tray of bagels, donuts, and cookies to you? Is that, did I hear correctly?
1: When the feeding tube is removed, and you know, if if and when you have finally agreed, okay, I'm going to try to eat actual food. And so they either remove the feeding tube or transition you to eat some food so that you can prove that you can do it. And then the feeding tube is pulled out. Yes. The bulk of the food that's brought three times a day with three snacks. So you're fed six times a day in a group setting, you know, in one room. The tray is full of carbs and sugar, Uh, cakes, cookies, donuts, pies, um, bagels, English muffins, pasta, dry cereal, pudding cups. Just, yeah. Um, and they believe that when you can prove that you can eat all of these equally and not have a fear then you're fixed and you can go home <laughs> no and they pronounce you well and they give you back to your parents and say she's okay now
0: so let's just talk about that Valerie what happened after you were released i know And we'll start to get in a little bit on, you know, we've talked about some of the mental symptoms that you had, but there was also, as the listeners heard earlier, some severe physical symptoms as well that you developed. And one of the things I heard you mention is that from a very young age, you lost your menses for 10 years. What happened next after you got out from that first day, please?
1: Immediate relapse. As soon as soon as you're released from the hospital, Nothing has changed. They've they've forced pounds on you, but nothing has changed in your thinking. Nothing has changed in your mind. You're you you may on the outside look as if you are of normal weight, but the disorder and the mental illness is still raging on internally. The voice is still screaming just as loud as it ever was, and the first thing you can think of to do when you come back out is restrict. And get rid of the weight that was put on because nothing has healed. Nothing has changed. So as soon as I came home, it was time to go back to school every day. And the stresses of that, I mean, high school, it is what it is. Um, But immediately, you're already looking for ways to not eat everything on your plate, move stuff around. It it just starts all over. It's just immediate relapse. And it's so difficult to treat. Out of all the mental illnesses, anorexia has the highest mortality rate of all psychiatric illnesses combined. It's difficult on the outset to think that that is true, but it truly is. Women and men who have eating disorders and specifically anorexia It ends up, unless they find their true healing, it ends up becoming lifelong, and they either die by suicide or by medical complication from the starvation, the malnutrition. It's one or the other. Their body either gives out or they're in so much tortured pain that they end it themselves. And that's the only two ways out from conventional traditional treatment. Even being inpatient, even having psychiatrists, they all told me that I could control this, that I could be better, but I could never be free of it, that it would be with me for the rest of my life and I could learn to live a productive life, but I would always have to be careful. And that doesn't help you want to be better either. <laughs> if doctors can't even give you real hope that, someday you can actually be free what what's the point if it's always going to be there what's the point
0: that's absolutely incredible and again not surprising given what we were talking prior to recording today and talking about the Narrative that still pertains out there in the medical world. You know, I said it on many podcasts the adios and uh, a diagnose and adios uh, version with a lot of these practitioners, not all, but many. Valerie, were you ever sent? I know that when I was losing weight rapidly and struggling on the vegan diet, that I, I went to a nutritionist. Had you ever been sent to one, or did you go on your own accord or be advised by someone in, after being discharged from the hospital that first time?
1: Yes. I, I had seen several right around that age, 15, 16, 17. I had a nutritionist and a dietitian while I was inpatient in the hospital. And after being released from the hospital, I still had that same nutritionist tied with the hospital um, and a medical doctor and a psychiatrist that I saw that um, that I you know established a relationship with. And the dietitians and the nutritionists they all just pushed the food pyramid that you needed many, many multiple meals a day and they needed to be carb heavy. Protein really didn't matter. Make sure it's low fat, that it needed to be carbs and sugar. And they would point out, just flat out, tell me that your brain needs sugar. (laughs) And I didn't know any different at the time. I was, you know, Half of me wanted to stay in my illness because of the of the darkness and the pull that it has. I wasn't quite to the point yet where I was tired of being sick and tired. Half of me was still active, actively starving, actively listening to the voices in my head. And the other half wanted to be better, wanted this to go away, but I didn't know how to get there. And and I, and I followed everything that they told me to follow but also immediately relapsing as you start to eliminate foods the first thing you're going to eliminate is anything that you consider to be higher calorie on the food plan that they've sent home to you um so it still quickly spirals getting rid of the carbs and the bread and then you're still back down left with Celery and spinach and a grape. I just oh dear.
0: There, there
1: was never any plan to incorporate any kind of protein or any kind of butter or animal product that would change the trajectory of my brain chemistry. It was just eat bread and pasta, and you know, stop when you're full and. Once you can eat all this and you can, you know, sit down and, and celebrate your birthday and have a piece of cake, well, then you're better.
0: There, there was a moment where I heard you say something again in a, another podcast as I prepared for today's conversation with you, and it really resonated with me. And it ties into what I was just saying about the nutritionist um, because I knew I needed to find someone mm-hmm. and. I I need to go back and thank this lady because at the time when I went in there, I was still a vegan and trying to figure out my way out of this. Even though I was severely malnourished, in constant pain, depressed, anxious, bleeding from my bowels, I was still committed to this way of eating because of the pervasive narrative that's out there that this is the best diet for you. And she ended up telling me that... She refuses to work with vegans because she's had so many people come to her. So I I was astounded what she said. That. I said, "What do you mean you, you're you're turning me away?" She said, "Yeah, unless you agree to add some animal products back in your diet, I will not work with you." And at the time, I was so floored. My my and I went away for at least a week. And it was her combined with finding Sally Norton and the Oxlet presentation online. And I don't give enough credit to this lady because she did help me at the very beginning even though it wasn't full beef and fat it was at least make sure you have some protein in there from an animal source um but i tie this all in and please excuse that a little memory lane journey for me there but that was just an amazing memory to for me to just re- recall but you said god was protecting you even when you were harming yourself and it just reminded me of that because i there's no way that i could have found that lady, and then Sally Norton, and then Dr. Baker, and then healed myself without some divine intervention. So please tell us about what you meant when you said that.
1: I've had a lot of things happen to me over the years, especially medical complications from the malnutrition. And in each and every one of them, even though I was severely sick and severely mentally ill, I knew that God was protecting me because I shouldn't have survived. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be alive. I I shouldn't have been able to withstand almost four decades of teetering right around 80 pounds. He kept me alive for such a time as this. He kept me alive until I found the right combination of what to do to to truly heal my brain so that I could, I could have a life again.
0: So let's touch on now, I think the year was 2018, was it not, that you were back down to 80 pounds, is that correct? And your family basically didn't know what to do. Tell us about, tell us tell the listeners about some of the, not only the mental symptoms that you're going through, I know you had severe hair pulling as well, um, but also some of the physical symptoms that had come on. At this time, had the IBS really flared for you or it had already been there for a while?
1: It had already been there for a long time. Um, the more vegetables I ate, the worse it got, and I never really knew anything about i b s fiber um you know constipation what what those fibrous vegetables were doing to me um it's just pushed all the time that you need fiber that you need vegetables, and I was so malnutritioned that I couldn't choose to eat anything else anyway, so I just lived with it um yeah and um the over the course of about 40 years i was weight restored for probably four times i concentrated on myself to feed myself so that my husband and i could have children and so there was twice with my daughters that my weight was back up and um and a couple other times in there where my weight was restored, but nothing was better. And when I was weight restored, because the mental illness is so strong and so dark and so pervasive, if I wasn't actively starving and I was trying to, to the best of my ability, take care of my body so that I could get pregnant or maintain a pregnancy, it it morphed, it changed that self-harm, reared its ugly head into something that I'd never experienced before. And so the severe OCD that is a neurological disorder brought on ways for me to self-harm when I was not starving. So when my weight was restored and I wasn't starving, I began cutting and pulling my hair out, which is called trichotillomania. Um, scalp, eyebrows, eyelashes, all of it. It was a way to deal with not self-harming myself by starving. And so those three things, the cutting, it was bad. When summer would hit, I would have to buy liquid foundation makeup that was meant for women's faces and try to match the skin tone for my legs and slathered this on my legs like lotion and let it dry to try to cover up the cuts and the scabs, to try to pass. So when I was out in public, people didn't look at me funny. It was that bad. And so was the hair pulling. I was, um, Painting on eyebrows, putting on false eyelashes, doing whatever I could do to my hair to try to cover up the shame of the bald spots. And when my daughters were born and they were healthy, thankfully, another protection of God. Because it wasn't their fault that their mom was sick. So I'm thankful. That they were healthy, but after they were born and after a time of uh, nursing them, um, then I would, the the compulsion to starve would take over again, and that would become active again, and the cutting and the hair pulling would subside, and it would just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What whatever. I was able to try to manage and minimize it would come out some other way severely of self-harm. I was never able to say, I'm not going to do this anymore, and just walk away. It was so embedded in my brain. You would think, you know, you have control over your hands. You have control over <laughs> whether or not you you cut yourself or pull hair out. It seems Strange, I'm sure, to other people. To like, well, why don't you just stop that? Why don't you just quit doing that? Just like those that say, well, why don't you just go eat something? But you, you can't. The, the brain is so broken that you can't think straight. The fatigue, the brain fog, the incessant voices, the drive to self-harm, that tape that plays over in your head over and over of how unworthy you are, that's not something that you can turn off and walk away from. I have now <laughs> completely been able to walk away, but that was only possible by healing the brain.
0: And just so folks understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Valerie, is that you were actually told, and again, your kids not only were protected by God, but they were a miracle because you were told you could never have children is that correct
1: Basically I had several doctors that told me that to not count on that I did not have a period from the ages of 14 to 24 and those are crucial years you know that's not even an a, an adult female who maybe exercises too much or loses a, a lot of body fat and they lose their period for a, a series of months and then they can regain it This is a crucial period at 14 years old when adolescence is going on, when growth is going on. And I stunted that. I completely halted that. And most of the doctors said, you know, this probably is not going to go well, even if at some point you regain your monthly period. We can't. Tell you at all of whether you'll ovulate, whether your ovaries are healthy. Whether your uterus is healthy enough to, to carry a pregnancy, let alone you know a, a full-term birth, we really don't think this is going to happen for you.
0: Let's just talking about before we go into where the you decide that enough is enough and you're going to make some changes for yourself in terms of dietary choices. But Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, hypermobility, please. I know there will be some folks out there that ha- are are wondering what that is. Could you explain that for folks?
1: Um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and also called hypermobility, is a connective tissue disorder. And the people that have it, well, what we used to call in the 70s being double-jointed, that, you know, they gave it a more scientific name. If your joints and your tendons can go farther, can stretch farther, bend farther than other people's, there's a chance that you might have it. And that's that's what I had. Um, I I can... I'm extremely flexible and through um, dance classes as a youngster, I had a lot of injuries um, and that's where it got diagnosed. I didn't understand why I could hyperextend my joints, my elbows, my fingers, you know, my, my ankles um, stretch much farther than the average person. It produced a lot of injuries. I was told in my 30s, when it was finally diagnosed, that I was going to need to be very protective, that I was never going to be able to lift weights, do any kind of strength training, um, because I would always have injuries. And up to a certain point, combined with the malnutrition, it was true. I had um, constant golfer's elbow, tennis elbow. And I didn't play tennis or golf. (laughs) It was from overextension um, and repetitive moment movements just from everyday exercise. I was addicted to exercise, but it wasn't doing those activities. But I constantly had arm pain, elbow pain to the point of the elbow would hurt so bad that I could not grip a, a coffee cup because the pain would shoot from the elbow down to the fingertips. I couldn't put my ma- own makeup on because I couldn't grip the lipstick or the mascara. It was so, it would just shoot severe pain. And I would go to physical therapy and, you know, at three times a week and, and they would get it to a point where it was better. And in a week or two, I would injure something else. It was constant. I had, um, three stress fractures in the course of four years and um, a constant elbow, hand pain, lower back pain. And it's gone. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> Valerie, I know you, I just, um, just wanted to touch on the, the thyroid. I just remember being so cold all the time. A low basal body temperature is very synonymous with having hypothyroid. Did you ever have any compounding infections? I was just talking with a recent guest about, uh, and and we had discussed yesterday about Epstein-Barr. And I know you said that you had had mononucleosis when you were younger. Anything else? Did you ever get any bad candida infections? Because when you have that low thyroid and low body temperature can also lead to other things.
1: Yes, I did. I worked with a um, functional medical doctor for about 10 years, about 15 years ago. Um, and did a bunch of protocols to clear candida immune system issues, you know things of that nature and yes the the low thyroid um, it's a cold that you can't explain it's a cold that is like bone pain. you're so cold that you you can't put enough layers on to to maintain your own body temperature and it and it actually hurts it's like being out in negative 20 degree weather without proper clothing on it it feels like that it feels like that burning cold pain that you can't escape and you're not even outside you're inside where where it's warm and you can't get warm enough you just can't you are just so underweight and so skeletal that you just can't can't stay warm enough
0: so Valerie let's let's talk about the moment now where you decided to do some research for yourself and I think you came across the book by Julia Ross is that correct
1: Yes I did <laughs> Yeah um I had gone through some more medical complications um from 2001 and 2010 directly related to all the muscle all the musculature that I had lost and I was I was to the point where I'm just I'm I'm just so tired of being sick and tired. I I wanted to stay living for my family. I have a wonderful husband, two beautiful adult daughters, a mom that is my best friend. But at the same time, I didn't want to wake up anymore. It, it just it just hurt too much. It hurt in body and in mind and I couldn't escape it. And combining that with the two major medical problems that I went through, surgeries that shouldn't have happened, the medical issues that shouldn't have happened, but were a direct result of of how sick I was. And nothing was working. Nothing that I was trying to do. I'd say I'm going to do better. I'm going to eat more. And it was just too hard. And so I began to try to search. I started with the brain. Like maybe there's something, maybe what I started with was thinking that there were supplements I could take, you know, at that point. Yeah. At that point I was already taking like 35, 40 supplements a day. um, Thinking that, that I was at least doing something, even if I wasn't consuming the food, I'll just take all these supplements. Hey, I know I need B12. I know I need D. I know I need, you know, zinc. Maybe this will do something. So um, when I started to to research maybe what the brain needs and maybe I could get a little better in that department, it was from the supplement standpoint. So I found these two books at our local library by Julia Ross called The the Mood Cure and The Diet Cure. And in those two books, um, she talked about all the brain neurotransmitters that are so very important to mental health. And for clarity of thinking and for anxiety and depression, Um, things like GABA, things like dopamine, serotonin, all those, you know, brain chemistry, important, uh, vital. Things that need to go on for your brain to fire right. And she also talked about the importance of protein. Now, I look back on it now of her recommendation and I kind of chuckle because her recommendation was to get at least 30 grams of protein at each meal. Well, now that's, you know, that's barely a bite (laughs) from what I eat now, but that kind of got me started. Um, I still didn't implement the protein, but I ordered all the supplements (laughs) and started taking them. And uh, it was right around that same time, 2000, you know, 2016, 2017, that I was finished with those books, take, actively taking these supplements. Um, and we got our first smart TV, and I was introduced to YouTube. And so I thought, well, I wonder if there's anything that I can watch on YouTube that would have to do with maybe the brain to continue this on, see, see what I can find out, see if there's new supplements out there that might help me. <laughs> So I found Dr. Georgia E, Dr. Chris Palmer, um, I found Paul Mason, um, Amber O'Hearn. You know, quite a few out there that were talking about the importance of saturated fat for our brain, the importance of protein, which is the carrier of the fat, um, and what. Our brain is made of the the percent of of, you know, our brain is 60 percent cholesterol and saturated fat. And if I wasn't consuming any of that, which I hadn't for almost 35 years and it was convincing, I needed I needed evidence. I'm a researcher. I read. I research. I want to see it in print. If I was going to go rogue, which is how I describe it, against everything that I had been taught that would help me, if I was going to go against the medical establishment that up to this point had not helped at all, you know, I'd been on seven different psych meds over the course of 25 years that were supposed to help. It didn't help any, you know, a very high-powered antipsychotic. Seroquel that was supposed to take the voices away, well, it just made me a tired zombie with voices. It, 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 it didn't do anything, along with the other six that I was on. Watching those videos and seeing their PowerPoint presentation, seeing what your brain is actually made out of and what it needs to fully function, finally became enough evidence for me to say, I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to try one more time. And and so I began. Um, the only way that I could with fat-free chicken breast.
0: Hi, Valerie, yeah. I'll, I'll interrupt you really quickly. That was the first thing. Well, I, 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 I yeah, added fish. That was the first thing. But yeah. being an ex-vegan and... You know, God bless her. I, I've already talked about this nutritionist that basically said if you are vegan, I am not working with you. Yeah. But she she did say to me, chicken breast was the way to go, and I <laughs> that was my first non fish sort of meat that I had eaten in decades, and it was uh it was just it was an interesting experience. Tell the listeners it's kind of interesting how little you started with and and, and worked your way up.
1: I'm so thankful that that nutritionist did that for you, that I've never experienced that in my 35 year journey. I'm so thankful that there was someone to plant a seed for you that made you, you know, uh, investigate further, that maybe there's something to this because that's what we need. We need those seeds planted that will finally all align and say, I need to do something different. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was It was the best that I could do. It was, you know, chicken breast is mild, fat-free seemed like it was going to, you know, line up with what I could possibly tolerate. It was the hardest thing to ever start. I promised myself that I was going to give this the best try that I could, but I had to force myself. I really did. It was a complete forcing I sat at the kitchen table with an ounce of cooked chicken breast, two tablespoons, an ounce. And I just weeped. I just cried. I put that bite in my mouth and the voices screamed louder to stop that this is going to make you fat. This is going to make you gain weight. You don't deserve to eat this meat. It was torture. I sat at the kitchen table and just bawled, just cried. Sad, tearful cries because it was so hard. But I just. I kept going. And every day I sat down with that ounce of chicken. And when I got used to it, sometimes it was a week. Sometimes it was a week and a half when it got to be a little easier when I could sit at the table and not cry. And. Eat those two bites of chicken. Something inside me. Which I attribute to God and his Holy Spirit. Said it's time to increase. it's It's time to eat more. So the way I increased it was I doubled it. So then it was two ounces of fat-free chicken breast. (laughs) So I did that week after week after week after week until I got to about eight ounces. And I was doing okay. I was actually starting to look forward to it. My tastes were changing. I was uh, allowing myself to understand that it actually tasted good. Um, and that was new for me. I had shunned it for so long that I couldn't even allow myself to even enjoy what it did taste like. So things started to change a little bit. And at that point, I was about this, at the six month point. It took me that long to get to that. In comes some new people that I'd never experienced on YouTube. <laughs> Dr. Ken Berry and Dr. Sean Baker. <laughs> and, of course, they're they're talking about how... All meat is wonderful, but there's so much more nutrition in beef. And so I decided I'm going to I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to switch from the eight ounces of chicken to ground beef. And of course, the ground beef that only one I could think of that I could eat at that moment was 96 percent fat free ground beef. (laughs) So I did that. And I felt like that was a huge accomplishment. I was able to switch switch out the eight ounce to, to eight ounce, and in about a month of eating eight ounces of ground beef, I started to feel different. Um, I not only looked forward to it, but it felt like when I was like four or five bites in, there was a calmness that came over me that I'd never experienced before, and now. At that point, the way I describe it to help people understand that that voice that had been like screaming in my face straight at me like a you know like a coach or a football player would scream at you just right in your face, was now in another room with the door closed, still screaming, but farther away and I had never, ever. Experienced that it had never ever gotten quiet, ever. Whether my weight was restored or not, whether I was on medications or not, whether I was actively starving or not, I had never experienced a reduction in those voices screaming at me. So at that point, I felt like I'm really on to something here. Even if I don't get any better than this, this is working. So I'm, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. So I did. And when I got to about 12 ounces of ground beef, I was continuing to watch all of the carnivore doctors. And they started talking about whole cuts of beef, the benefits of the connective tissue, the collagen, um, what that does for your brain chemistry. And at the twelve ounces of ground beef, I, I had never ever been able to entertain that idea before, but now it was a possibility. So I bought ground chuck at the grocery store and put it in the crock pot and cooked it all day, and I was able to transition over to that ground to that uh, that chuck roast. At that point, about the nine month point, I had been able to get up to a pound. And it was mostly the um, chuck roast, but still some ground beef in there, too. And at that nine-month mark, when I got to the, the pound, there was more that happened. There was more improvement. I was able to critically think for the first time about the cutting and the hair pulling. And for the first time in my life, be able to look at those activities and say, what in the world were you doing, Valerie? (laughs) And it wasn't a forcing where I'm going to promise myself that I'm never going to do this again, which is what I had done over and over and over. And then the shame and the embarrassment and the steamrolling of that happens because you're trying to make yourself quit something that you can't quit. This was different. This was... Sorry. This was. I don't need to do this anymore. I can walk away. This isn't serving me anymore. I don't need this. I can stop (laughs) and I can walk away. And that that was such a life changing moment that I, 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 that I'll never, I'll never, ever get over. I'll never, I don't think it will ever get old of thinking about it or sharing about it of how life changing that actually was. So at that point, I was so much better that in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm all in. I don't I don't need to do this this ounce increase anymore. I think it's time to just eat till I'm full. I think it's time to figure out what that feeling is. I think it's time to actually really flood my body, flood my system with the nutrients that had gotten me to that miraculous point that it was time. It was time to find my freedom. And I was enough better to know that this is it. I'm just, I'm just going to keep going. So I quickly went from that nine month mark to the year mark in the course of just those three months doubling. I had gotten to two pounds of meat every day. And uh, that, that, that period was when I started experimenting with a lot of other things um, Re, you know removing vegetables removing different things to, and and figuring out I finally had the brain power to finally critically think about the other foods that I was consuming and what they were doing to me were they harming me were they helping me and I'd never been able to do that before so that you know that that critical time was also when I did some major gut healing and some major discoveries of, of what
0: harmed me and what helped me I'm speech I'm speechless I you know I had heard your story and I was moved to tears before and I am I when you got emotional there i I must admit I am over here too and I, I did the same with with Brett Lloyd who's known to you when we he shared oh, his yeah. story
1: yeah oh, I fell apart when I heard his story
0: <laughs> oh, oh my goodness Valerie but yours is equally as powerful and thank you so much for sharing it and i know it will impact other folks please let the listeners know how now for how long have you been doing the carnivore diet or on this way of eating how long has it been for you now
1: it was january of 2018 so it's now officially been five and a half years i, I say five and a half years but of course that first year was the the major healing that first year was was very slow going I wasn't a normal person that could just switch from the sad diet to lots of meat and see improvement in just a mere matter of weeks, like so many can. Um, this took a long time. The self-starvation took a long time of small increments of food in order to get you know to get there. But I still I still count it because it, it, it was a complete switch for me. yeah. So the first two years, I was very strict. Um, I, um, eliminated, you know, basically like, like Judy Cho, the elimination diet. I, I did, you know, beef and water and, and some coffee and some tea and, you know, all different cuts of beef, sometimes some chicken in there, sometimes some ham in there for variety, but I had eliminated everything else at, at the very beginning. And that was when I found my healing from the IBS. Um, and then eventually, played around with it a little bit. But those first two years, I was I was really strict with it and learned a lot about my body and what it tolerated and what it didn't. But it was so easy. Um, people talk about this being restricted. There is no restriction in freedom. Restriction is having a mental illness. Restriction is being bedridden Because you don't have the energy or the the heat from your body to get out of bed and help your daughters. Restriction is sitting with a bowl of cooked celery because you can't force yourself to eat anything else. Not going out to eat, not being with friends and family because you just just can't. That's restriction. This (laughs) is not restriction. This is my freedom. This is my healing.
0: I love it. And I completely, as you know, 100% agree. Talk to us now, Valerie, at this stage, what does a typical day of eating look like for you now? Are you on OMAD, 2MAD, or do you just eat when you're hungry till you're full? How do you do it?
1: Um, I have naturally kind of morphed into 2MAD and naturally into intermittent fasting. It wasn't something that I intended. If I'm hungry, I eat, but it has naturally just kind of gone into that because beef is so satiating. I'm, I'm just not hungry, but when I get hungry, I eat. (laughs) So um, I don't usually do breakfast or lunch. I, um, I strength train and power walk and I like doing that in a fasted state. I feel like my, um, my thinking and my mental clarity is at its best. Um, My energy is at its best. I'm happy and joyful all day long. Um, And then when I finally get hungry, it's somewhere around supper time. And um, I eat at least a pound or a pound and a half. And lately it's been steak. (laughs) And I increase that if I'm trying to put on more muscle, um, because I know that I need even more than that but I eat till I'm full and I am full when I get done with a pound and a half of, of steak. I, I, yeah, I can't think of another bite going down. I'm um, yeah, I'm full. Um, and then I eat a second meal several hours after that. Um, what ends up happening is my intermittent fasting is, is along the lines of the 195. I fast for 19 and I eat two meals in a five hour window. It just kind of ended up that way. It wasn't intentional. And so that second meal is another pound, at least a pound. And it's usually something else. It's usually ground beef or salmon. Salmon meant a lot to me in my brain healing because that that was a concentrated source of fat and DHA. Um, I did a lot of salmon in the last three, four years. A lot of salmon. Ham, pork, you know, some chicken, but mostly the bulk Of the of the poundage would be beef and salmon, and then figuring out the the vegetable thing. I love vegetables. I love asparagus and broccoli and green beans and even a cut up dill pickle on on some ground beef. But it's not worth it to me. It's not. If it was just maybe an hour or two of maybe a discomfort or a bellyache, yeah, that's worth it. But 24 hours doubled over in pain, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And, and in order to, to, to do that, for years, I took four ultra gas pills every day, just, just to be able to eat broccoli and celery and all of that. And when I did a deep dive into what those gas pills are made of, what simethicone is, I knew I would never swallow another one. When I discovered the ingredient, that simethicone is is siloxane it is the same silicone compound that they make breast implants from and I was following them every day <laughs> so I knew that I wasn't going to use supplements or over-the-counter remedies in order for me to, to eat vegetables so I had to really really concentrate on how I felt eating one vegetable at a time and if it did that to me if, if I was miserable for 24 hours it went out. I, I'm like, no, I want to feel my best every day. I have overflowing joy, overflowing energy now that I can pass on to, to everybody that I'm with, everybody that I meet, and I'm not willing to sacrifice that to eat a bowl of coleslaw. <laughs> so so those had to go out. But and then after my couple of years of, of strict carnivore, I wanted to explore to see if I could put fruit back in. Um, I know so many can't they have metabolic issues type 2 diabetes obesity sugar addiction you know there are people that that absolutely cannot touch sweet there's moderators and abstainers some that have to completely abstain in order to not have that move into another craving i don't have those pro- i don't have that issue thankfully so even though i had to push out the vegetables that some people still can enjoy i was able to put back fruit in i eat a bowl of blueberries with that second meal <laughs> or in season like it is now June July August um locally in Ohio I'll be able to buy at my farm market some locally grown like um muskmelon cantaloupe um homegrown watermelon that I'll probably put in a, a little bit seasonally but my go-to usually is a roll blueberries and I have I have no problem with them they don't cause any kind of digestive upset They don't cause me to have any kind of strange thoughts, any kind of neurological issues, any kind of craving afterwards. So that, you know, that's, that's what I do. So that, that second meal is another pound pound or pound and a half and a of blueberries.
0: I saw that you had, we're blueberry buddies, Valerie. (laughs) (laughs) We are. That's the, that's the one thing that I choose and continue to eat every evening. You know, God bless Sally Norton and her wisdom. Listeners have heard me say this before that. Because I was oxalate dumping so severely, I realized after listening to her and reading her book that I had been eating the highest oxalate foods for years and juicing and blending and bombing my gut. And I chose, I, I swore, and again, apologies to the listeners, I've swore down, I don't need to touch another vegetable. I ate enough as a vegan. I, I ate enough for a lifetime between roasting them and blending them and cooking them. So yeah. I, like you, I chose pretty uh, a benign fruit, um, and blueberries were my, and I still enjoy yeah. them in the evenings. Yeah, so that's maybe. that's great. We're blueberry buddies. Also, <laughs> I noticed that you and I are buddies in terms of the weighted vest. I, I think you have a 30-pound one, don't you? From
1: I do. I do. That weighted vest and I are best buds every other day.
0: <laughs> and Valerie, I got to tell you, because I, I want to upgrade to the one you have. Yours is 30 pounds, correct? Yeah. Yeah. mine i have the 20 pound one and I, when i was starting out man that's tough so i give you and i'm i've i want to talk to you a little bit about that about how effortless, effortlessly excuse me that have you struggled because i mean i look at your photos now you're putting on muscle you've got broad shoulders looking so fit i mean was it difficult with you on this diet i know for me i'm putting on muscle quicker than i've ever before in my life
1: it's it's it t- it takes work for anybody to put on muscle And I think those of us, you and I, that come from the malnutrition background, the severely skeletal thin background, it takes time. It does. And that 30 pound weight vest was not, one day I didn't use it and the next day I did. It took three years to build up to that. Um, I started with an army knapsack backpack that came from an army surplus store. And I had bags of sand that weighed five pounds. And I, you know, throw a bag in there and and do some stairs, do some lunges, do some squats to try to build up lower body muscle. And as I got used to it, I'd throw another one in there until I finally got it up to about 25 pounds and the backpack broke. <laughs> and so I thought, well, okay, if, if this heavy duty one that was meant, or to be out in the field to be used by military, if, if, it, if it's breaking under the weight of this and the stitching won't hold, my recourse is to go buy another one and, and continue on or to invest money in an actual weighted vest. And at that point, I was on Twitter, I had seen quite a few men wearing the weighted vest and they were talking about how much different it is to have the weight evenly distributed and it actually works your core and, and I was actively doing ab work to develop my abs and it's different than having all of the weight on your back. And so, I'm, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if there, you know, if there really is a difference and I'm going to going to switch from that backpack. And since I was already doing 25 pounds, I didn't want to go lower. So we went with a 30 and it, it has really been um, a game changer. I notice A lot more muscle definition in my legs, in my thighs, and also in my abs and my obliques than I ever had. And you know, it's only five pounds heavier than my backpack, but it has to be the difference in how the weight's distributed because it's on the front and on the back and on the shoulders rather than just hanging off the back. And you have to constantly compensate for that pulling on you. It actually works your whole body. So, yeah, I have uh, my lower body workout is every other day and I've got that
0: that weight vest on. I found it just to be the, one of the most beneficial things for me. And, and you, you hit the nail on the head, Valerie, is that when coming from the malnourished, I start uh, background and being very thin. And, you know, I've heard some comments from vegans before when I said, you know, I was too um weak and exhausted to lift even my wife's five pound dumbbells at one time, but it wasn't that I physically could not, I'm sure I could if I put my mind to it, but I was so exhausted mentally and physically exhausted. I just could not. So I started with stretch resistance bands and then like you, I got a knapsack and I put these Uh weighted things in it. And then like you, the knapsack (laughs) broke (laughs) and, and then I went up to the weighted vest and it's been a game changer. Not only as you say, does it help your core and positioning your body weight, but I firmly believe, and you can, agree with me or, or not valerie but i believe i also it it was a mindset thing for me where i was like i was trying to will my body to put on muscle and weight because i'd been so thin for so long yeah. so even if it was tricking my mind carrying that extra weight on my chest it was it felt good it felt it good to me and it it also corrects your posture too with correct positioning when you're walking so uh-huh. i really really folks hear me and i post to my stories on instagram all the time i went for a weighted walk this morning i love it
1: Yeah, so do I. So do I. And it's just, yeah, it's amazing how it can make you feel. And, um, you know, I don't exercise now. My view of exercise is totally different than it used to be. Before, it was to be skeletal, to be as thin as I possibly could be, to lose as much weight as I possibly could. This is a totally different mindset. Um, I am not addicted to exercise anymore. That healed also. This exercise that I do, I believe in working smarter, not harder, not hours of cardio, not hours of this and hours of that. I get in there, I get it done, and I'm done. (laughs) 20-minute, you know, 20-minute intense heavy lifting, whether it be the weight vest or on upper body days, I'm doing um, still really heavy resistance bands and uh, free weights um, to build up upper body this makes me feel good, this makes me feel strong. And you know as well as I do, it's not only skeletal muscle that we're trying to grow, we're also trying to revamp and recoup bone structure. The osteoporosis with the malnutrition, the skeletal, the oxalate toxicity, the um, toxic metal toxicity that we can go through, it will harm our bones. And I want to age strong. I don't want to be a weak, frail, sarcopenic, muscle-wasting, fractured woman. I don't want to accidentally slip and fall and break a leg because my bones aren't healthy. And that, that weight, that weighted vest, the, the upper body weights that we use, we're building also bone. As we're nourishing ourselves with protein and fat, and then that resistance, you don't see the bones, but we're rebuilding bone. And that is just as important as building a muscle.
0: Let's talk about the impact in the change of not only your mental state, but physical state has had for both your husband and your children. I was so happy for you when you made that post the other day, showing the picture of you and your husband at your wedding and how after how many years now he has his wife and your 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 daughters have their mother back. It just must be so incredible for them and for you to, to finally be sharing and living and lav- loving and laughing. Talk to us about that. That's really incredible.
1: It is. Um, my husband and I have been together for um, 31 years and officially married 29 um, just this past weekend. He's only had who he has now for five years. He endured. His love is unconditional, and he endured a lot. I was just so ill. I, the, the, my, my mind was so ill. My body was so ill. I was sad most of the time. I was cold all the time. And how I was and what I did affected everyone around me. And they were helpless to inspire me to change. They would talk to me. My husband would talk to me, my daughters, my mom, extended family. The medical issues that I had, the surgeries that I had as recently as just 13 years ago. You would think all of those things would give you the motivation to change. And it does. You desperately want to change. But you can't fix mental illness by just saying you're going to turn it off. He and I are like newlyweds again. (laughs) It's... um, It's so fun to rediscover and try to redeem what it should have been all along. The joy of just laughing together, enjoying a movie together, watching TV together, eating together, um, taking a day trip together. None of those were pleasurable. None of them were easy to do, I would, but it was kind of like white knuckling through it. I, it, it. I was always guarded. I was always trying to put a smile on my face, but it wasn't true joy. It wasn't true vibrant health, vibrant life, the way that it is now. It, it was just suffering, but trying to make it through. And um, my daughters, Beautiful 26-year-old who's newly married and now pregnant. (laughs) And um, beautiful 19-year-old who's embarking on her her new employment journey with a job that she absolutely loves. They've only had me the way I am for five years. I have many regrets. We made what I felt was the right decision for our family when my older daughter was four. We made the commitment to homeschool. For many, many, many reasons. And we homeschooled both girls combined for 24 years. And just finished a year ago with my 19 year old. But with that being said, it it was a wonderful life. and, And it was what we wanted it to be for them educationally. But it was a struggle. I was so ill. And there were times when I was Actively in starvation mode again, where I was down to that 80 pounds. I couldn't even sit down with them and do basic math. I I could not help them with their schoolwork. So I have um, have regrets. Hindsight is always 2020, 20, and I have gone to them and apologized. They know that I was. Ill, that there wasn't anything that I could do about it, but I wanted them to know that I now know that they suffered when I suffered. And I can't do anything about it to change the past, but I can sure redeem today and sure redeem the future. Same with my mom. My mom is such a strong woman. She has cheered for me. she has fought for me. she has advocated for me my whole life. She's cried over me, prayed over me, worried over me, thought for many, many years that she was gonna get a phone call from my husband that you know I had maybe passed away in my sleep or had cardiac arrest because I was so, so skeletal. And now, I see her almost every day. We power walk together. <laughs> it's like, I, I get, I'm just going to use the term. I mean, I, I have a relationship with Christ and I am born again in him. But this five, this five years is another rebirth, is another born again. Um, I actually have a stronger relationship with God now than I did then. There was like a wall there, just like there was a wall with the people that I loved, with my husband, with my daughters, with my mom. There was a wall that I that that I desperately wanted to break through, but I couldn't. My brain just wasn't functioning. And it's like a rebirth. It's it's all brand new. It's it, it's all brand new. And and my mind is so clear and so calm the voices that i thought would be with me until i took my last breath have been gone for four and a half years and the very first few months that it was completely gone i worried that this was too good to be true i woke up every morning worried that it's all going to come rushing back and i finally finally after a few months a year and a half ago finally realized this is permanent <laughs> this, this is not going to get taken away from me i, I am not going to get used to this and have it, have the rug be pulled out mm-hmm. from under me this is who i am now this this is what it feels like to not have a mental illness this is what it feels like to have a calm brain with only my own thoughts and the joy life is good and everybody has bad days everybody has stresses everybody has things that go on that will dampen that you know I'm not saying that life is perfect but that 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 foundation that base of that bubbling overflowing joy is there all the time and even in the midst of stress or disappointments,
0: it's it's always there. <laughs> Listeners, I told you today was going to be a amazing, powerful episode. And Valerie, <laughs> I'm telling you, we, I speak for everyone that's going to see this, that's going to listen to this, and for myself, when I say we are more than happy, we share your joy. It's infectious. We're so happy for you and your family. Thank you for sharing. I want to touch on one last thing before I ask where folks can find you online and we end out, is that I heard you say that, like myself, you just want to help others now. And it's so commendable and be a voice out there. Mm
1: -hmm. Talk
0: to us a little bit about that before we end out.
1: I wish that I could evolve change from the top down. I wish that I could Embark change within hospitals, within inpatient settings, within dietitians, And I have tried. And there's always a lot of pushback. A- and that's OK. That resistance is OK. But I've never gotten anywhere with that. Um, you know, there, for example, there is one tube feed. Um, that a family can request if they know about it. And their insurance may or may not cover it, but it is protein and meat based, but they're not going to know about it if the doctor doesn't share that with them, doesn't give them informed consent and give them a choice. And so when I've come alongside families and visited girls in the hospital, and I suggest that every time they're going to go with the experts that are caring for their child in the hospital and the doctor and if. The parent has the courage to ask. In this particular instance, the doctor said it doesn't matter what's in the tube feed. It just matters that it's high calorie. It doesn't matter what the food is. It won't change what happens with the mental illness or the anorexia. It doesn't matter what's in it as long as it's high calorie. I've tried having meetings with dieticians, I've tried having conversations with them and it doesn't end well. I just want to open a window, not even throw open a door. I just like to open a window to have conversation, to share my story with those in those top echelons, to maybe open the idea that there is a brain neurological connection and what you feed it can really change what the brain does. And that's not worked. So my focus is on reaching out to everyone that's around me. So I am very, very passionate about replying to anyone that reaches out to me, whether it be just a reply on a Twitter post that I've put out, That I personally reply to. I try to go through, it might take me a couple of days, but I I reply to every single one. And I get probably five different direct messages at least every week. And if they'll let me, I love to come alongside them, whether through direct message, through phone calls, through texting. Um, I have five different ladies right now that we're now have abandoned the direct message. Um, Because it's hard to pose questions, ask what they're eating, ask what their ailments are. You know, it's easier to do that in real time. So I spend a lot of time on the phone uh, with them, listening to them, possibly advising, possibly being able to help them sort out what is working and what's not, whether it has to do with mental health eating disorders, or just basic starting the carnivore diet, navigating through IBS, any kind of oxalate issues, um, any kind of bladder issues, interstitial cystitis, you know, all those things that go along with it, whatever they reach out to me for, I am more than happy to come alongside them and cheer them on and be a sounding board for them to talk about what's going on, and maybe lead them to something that they could possibly try to make them feel better. And um, that's my main goal, is to be available to anyone, anyone that reaches out to me. And I don't care how it gets done. I don't care how many hours the phone call is. I don't want anyone else to live like this for 35 years when it's not necessary. I healed in a year, which you could say is a long time, but it's not, <laughs> a year is nothing. A year is, is nothing compared to the almost four decades that I suffered and it's so simple, but yet it, it's so difficult at the same time Because that person that you're talking to has to have already come to the end of their rope, and they already have to be willing to do a 180 and go against what they have lived, the food pyramid, big food, big pharma, you know, whatever they've been influenced by. They already have to take a big leap of faith by going against that. And so it's it's my honor and my privilege if if I can help and lessen the suffering in any possible way that I can, because I don't want anybody else to suffer the way that I did.
0: And again, Valerie, I speak for everyone. I say thank you and God bless you for doing all the stuff that you're doing. I completely agree. It's why I started this podcast channel. It's why I became a coach with Dr. Baker's program just to be able to help folks t- to avoid what we went through. With that being said, Valerie, where can folks reach out to you and find you on the social media space? What are your where are you active and how can they find you?
1: I'm most active on Twitter and um it's at at Valerie Ann 1970 and um I'm also on Instagram. Um same thing, Valerie Ann 1970. Uh, I'm still learning uh, about Instagram. I've done quite a few posts on there and anyone can reach out to me there if that's their preferred, you know, social media site, but um, I'm on both of those. Uh, Anyone, you know, reach out to me. If you want to talk to me directly, I'll very gladly give out email phone number, you know, and we can talk and, and I can listen to what you're going through and hopefully together we can figure out you know what the next steps are to get to feeling better
0: Valerie and Smith this has been an honor a privilege, a joy thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out today and sharing your story. We're so grateful for you and I just want to say I, I wish you all the best all the joy all the happiness all the love and Just continue what you're doing. Keep shining a light. We appreciate you. So thank you for coming on today.
1: I appreciate so much the opportunity, James. I feel the same things about you. Um, You know, I've watched every single podcast that you've had, every single person that you've interviewed. And um, your heart comes through so much because of what you've also gone through. And I know that every guest that you have means so much to you because you can see yourself in them in even if it's in little pieces even if this story doesn't align perfectly you know a lot of us have common themes a lot of us have common illnesses that we've that we've healed and it's it's just been amazing um, and privilege and so honored to be able to do this with you um, i hope and pray that we both can continue to help as many people as we possibly can it's just so important.
0: Ah, oh, I'm going to need some tissues now. Thank you. <laughs> I, knew, I knew they were going to come. They're coming out. I, I really want to say thank you.
1: Thank you so much. You too.
0: <laughs> and that's a wrap on this episode of Carnivorous Chats. If you've made it this far, I want to say thank you for listening. And also thank you in advance for liking, subscribing, or sharing this episode. Thanks again to the good folks at Carnivore Bar and Equipped Foods. Don't forget to check the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products. And also, don't forget you can book me for a 30-minute carnivore coaching session through Rivero Health. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Until the next time, be well.